Hey, so I imagine you're listening to this podcast because you're an artist yourself and you want some insider tips, insights, and general advice from artists you respect. One aspect of the business we sometimes discuss on Best Advice is rollout strategies. When you're dropping new music, you want to give it the best chance of getting heard. It's all about reaching the right listeners at the right time. That's why our team at Spotify for Artists built Marquee. Marquee is a marketing tool for turning listeners into bigger fans of your new music. With Marquee, you can send full screen recommendations of your latest album, EP, or single to the right fans as soon as they open the app. Listeners who see your Marquee are twice as likely to save your tracks, making it a better way to develop your audience than trying to drive streams from social media. To find out more, go to artists.spotify.com slash marquee. Welcome to The Payoff. I'm Antonia Cerejido. And I'm Chris Duffy. The Payoff is your awesome audio companion to all of Mike's great business and personal finance coverage, which you can find at mike.com slash the payoff. And since this show is for you, the listener, this episode, we're focusing on the number one requested topic we've gotten since we started the show budgets. Yeah, even more than wanting to increase your income, what so many of you listening really want to know about is how to be more responsible and how to take control of the money that you already have. I feel like budgeting should be easy because it's like just on me. Like I have money, I make my decisions, and yet it is so complicated. Yeah, I feel like this is totally out of my control, even though I know that that's not the case. I'm just constantly looking for, please, someone stop me from wasting money. Uh, So in this episode, we're going to really dig in and learn how to actually start making good choices with our bank accounts and also how to stick to a budget. And we're going to start off as we do in each episode with our opening segment we like to call Oh No, which is how both of us normally feel when we have to talk about money. Realizing how much money you actually have. Oh, no. Making a budget using that money. Oh, no. Stopping yourself from buying something you can't afford even if you really want it. Oh, no. I can't believe that people actually stick to their budget because I'm one of those people who will, like, take that $100 from my savings account at the end of the month and just move it over. And it's a little secret that I keep to myself. It's like a secret slice. Have you ever gotten a secret slice? What is a secret slice? When you get a slice of pizza in the middle of the day. (laughs) (laughs) That's what budgeting is like for you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Well, that feels very realistic to me. And I'm not sure if it is realistic to actually stick to a budget, but we're going to see if we can figure out a way to do it. Well, luckily, we have our big interview. And in this episode, it's Aaron Lowry, a millennial personal finance expert whose stated mission is helping people like us get our financial lives together. Yes, it sounds like she's exactly who we need. And then in our final segment, the bottom line, we're going to take a look at another kind of budget that's been in the news a lot this week, the president. We have one of Mike's awesome reporters here to break down what it looks like the president is proposing for the federal government and how that might affect your personal budget. So stick around. All right, here we go with the segment where we confront and get over our worries and confusion about something in the world of money. You know, the kind of financial stuff that usually makes you go, oh, no. For this episode, it's all about getting smarter about spending and budgeting, which I know I really struggle with personally, especially because as a freelancer, I don't really have what you might call, quote unquote, predictable income. But it can be hard even for people who do have predictable income. A recent study from financial firm T. Rowe Price found that more than a third of millennials report that they can't stick to a budget. What about you, Antonia? How do you track your spending? Can you stick to a budget? You know, I feel like I actually don't track my spending, (laughs) so the answer would be no. But I think of myself as a relatively frugal person. I don't spend a lot on nearly anything. Like, I'm not somebody who buys expensive clothes. In fact, I think that 
if you buy real, if you spend more than four hundred dollars on a handbag, you are a bad person. Hot take. Wow. I really think so. It's like, why would you do that? Give me a good reason. And I just, I in general, like, I don't go to super fancy dinners. I don't feel like I'm a, a huge spender yet. I'll find myself sort of tight at the end of the month. And one time I called my mom and I was telling her, I was like, well, you really don't have to worry about me event, like long term because I'm pretty frugal. And she goes, but I don't want you to feel like you have to be. Mm. And it was this like kind of sad moment <laughs> where I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, that makes sense. though. it's like you, you're frugal now, but do you want to be frugal forever? Right. Um, and I kind of have the same thing, I think, where I really, really get stressed out just by thinking about money and by like even making a budget to me is really stressful because then all of a sudden it's like oh god am I making mistakes have I spent too much Uh, it it gets in my head but when I don't have a budget I don't really know what I'm spending but I also don't ever buy extravagant things or like like I have been wearing the same clothes for five years (laughs) it's like it's an event when I buy a new pair of pants that's like a a memorable day it's like oh today is pants day and we'll remember we'll mark this in the calendar but like I I think there's that but then is not spending money good enough or is like knowing where your money's going and being conscious about that a, a better thing well I think it probably is a problem that I don't know like on average how much I spend on on basic items I would I would venture to say that's probably going to be a problem for me long term. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I, I have a couple of systems that work for me that are, are ones that I've had to do since I don't have uh, like a regular job, since I have freelance income that comes from all sorts of different places. The biggest thing that changed when I did that was I didn't have taxes taken out. So I had to start paying estimated income tax. Mm. And it wasn't like a choice. It's just like you got to do it. Yeah. So because of that, every time money comes in, I have to take a percentage out and then put it in a bank account and save it and then pay it quarterly to the government. And that alone started me being like, oh, well, if I'm doing this with taxes, why don't I just also do this with like retirement stuff and also with like emergency fund stuff. So now whether I get $10 or $10,000, I do the same thing, which is 30% goes to tax savings fund, 15% goes to a retirement and 10% goes to an emergency fund. But then do you get really sad? Oh, my gosh. I get so sad because I look at it and I'm like, wow, that was a pretty good paycheck. And then I take all the uh, percentages out that are, like, not mine, that I don't feel like are mine. And when I look back at it, I'm like, oh, there's no (laughs) money. I should have made more money. What's the last extravagant thing you paid for? Ooh. Last extravagant thing that I paid for. Hmm. I honestly don't even know. I think like I'm I, the my That's first. That's how not extravagant you are. Yeah, the thing I was about to say was I bought a wicker basket, but then <laughs> I was like, it was ten dollars. <laughs> it was ten dollars uh, because I needed something in my. Oh, you know what? No, what? here's where I am extravagant. All right. I this is so lame, but I love houseplants. Like big on plants. That's no, that's important. You need like life in your home. Yeah, this is what it was. I bought organic dirt, and the dirt <laughs> was a bag of organic. Yeah, dirt. Yeah, how much is it? Fifteen dollars. That's not even that bad. Okay, it's a. It was literally a sack of dirt, Antonio. Yeah, but like I could have <laughs> dug it up and put it in a trash bag, and it would have been the exact same result. But instead, I bought it from a store in Williamsburg. Well, what plant do you have? What it that... was a, for a fiddly fig tree, which is no, I mean that's honestly... like my baby. But organic dirt, I couldn't even. I took a photo of it and was like. Even I hate me right now. (laughs) It was terrible. Yeah. What was your last uh, extravagant purchase? The one extravagant thing I have in my life is my yoga studio. Ooh. It's like. You own a personal yoga studio. (laughs) I own a yoga studio. I was like, I don't want you to be frugal. I just want you to have the yoga studio of your dreams, (laughs) Antonia. (laughs) But it's like one of those yoga studios where they give you like complimentary tea 
and like oh. there's like a nice shower that's like nicer than my shower at home but i have to sh- i mean i share my shower with three other people so i like every time i'm in the nice shower and I'm they're like, not even your roommates <laughs> uh <laughs> every time i'm in the nice shower i'm like i deserve this yeah but i sometimes i wonder i'm like is this really worth it but but i think that the other important thing that kind of goes with budgeting is it just really does take so much effort to keep one body like running yeah not even running well (laughs) you know what i'm talking about (laughs) you're saying like it takes a lot of effort just to keep your body functional bare minimum yeah yeah and that's the part that i think also overwhelms me about budgeting is thinking about like oh my god i need a haircut i need like things like that where i'm like i need to buy soap because when i you write your budget you're not your first thought is not like i must buy soap but yeah. all of those things play a role. And also budgeting, I think, like, people tend to think of it as this, like, you have to be frugal and it's like austerity, the budget. But in reality, like, you can budget in, I'm going to go to this yoga studio that makes my life better. Yeah. Right. I, I feel like this always comes back to, for me, like, what is the life that you want to be living? And a lot of times people think that it requires more money. And in reality, it just requires you being, like, thoughtful. Right. So, like, I could care less about fancy clothes. So because of that. I could take a trip. Right. But if I care about fancy clothes, then I probably can't take this trip. Like, you just decide what you care about. And for you, it's like yoga studio and soap. And you know what? That's worth it. I guess my question for you is budgeting. You typically know how much money you have at the beginning of the month or the week or however you plan out your budget. But you don't know. So how do you plan around that uncertainty? Yeah. Well, this is this also comes back to why I I think we both share this of like hating to think and talk about money because it's stressful. And one of the things that's so stressful for me is I just genuinely don't know how much money I'll make from month to month. So I know how much I've already like I've signed these contracts and these gigs. Definitely, I'm going to have this much money in. But I think all freelancers and there's actually a lot of us out there, right? There's 53 million Americans who are freelancing right now, according to the freelancers union. And the biggest struggle that we all have is we don't have a contract that says, In this year, you're going to make $30,000 or $50,000 or $100,000. You have in a month, you have like, I'm getting $100 over here and I'm getting $4,000 over here and I'm getting $600 here. And then all it takes often is the person to go like, hey, uh, this was great, but uh, our budget changed and we're not going to do this next month. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, my gosh, I went from living this life of a rich person to I have no money coming in. So. The, the biggest thing that I've found with that is I have to constantly be putting more irons in the fire because you never know when things are going to fall down. And I tend to have these like peaks where I'm like so busy and like, oh, there's no time, but I'm making a lot of money. And then these valleys where I'm like, oh, all I have is free time and I have no money. And then I overcompensate and get right back to the peak. And I'm like, oh, I got to quit things. And, and so I, it's always this up and down. Yeah, I've, I've really struggled to find the middle ground where I'm like, it's the right amount of money, and I'm not overwhelmed with time. I constantly in my life, like, think about that part in Harry Potter where she has the hourglass. Do you you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the, like, time travel thing? Yeah, where she creates more time in the day. Ooh, yes. Oh, I would make so much more money if I could create <laughs> some more time in my day, for sure. And I get, like, really overwhelmed. I'm like, I want to do it all. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that is. It's, like, not just a freelancer problem, right? I mean, you have a, a steady day job, but yeah. you must feel like that, too. Yeah. I think that anytime you do creative work, particularly, there's like not enough hours in the day to like do all the projects you want to work on. Yeah. I think it's also, you know, when I talk to my friends who aren't necessarily in creative fields or things that we would call creative fields, it's still like if you want to get things done and you're driven and motivated, 
it's always you're always going to run up against time. Yeah. And and time and money are essentially what goes into a budget. Right. It's like, here's where here's what I'm putting my time into. That's where I'm getting my money. And then here's what I want to spend my time on. That's what I'm going to use my money for for a lot of people. Uh, but I definitely have not figured out the solution. I, I still feel like I am very much in the oh no zone. Have you ever not been able to buy? So, for instance, I had a crappy computer for many years, and I knew that if I saved up a section of four paychecks, I'd then be able to go and buy a new computer. Mm. Have you ever, like, planned something in such a way, or are you like, screw it, I don't know when I'll be able to buy that computer? I almost never do that. Like, I almost never have the, like, okay, I'm just going to sock away money this month and next month and next month and then that. What it tends to be like is I'm like, oh, this month I had a bunch of jobs, so I have this surplus money. I guess I can use it for something like that. But then I've definitely done that and regretted the next month. Like, oh, I should have averaged this money over this thing. Because, like, do you use anything to track how much money comes in? Do you have any way? What do you mean how much money comes in? Like, I I use a service that's an online service for free called Mint.com. So you do use Mint. Yeah, so I use Mint. You're one of these app users. I'm an app user. (laughs) You got me. Uh, you say it with such disdain. I'm just so confused. I'm actually so excited to talk to Aaron about this because there are all of these different apps, and I feel like I can't help it. I feel like they're scamming you somehow. Oh, well, I definitely don't understand how they make money, and if you told me that they were just, like, selling my personal info, I'd be like, that makes sense. But uh, when I look at it, I use it a lot to track, like, my income over time and also my, like, net worth over time. And the oh my god, you so fancy. I, well, the thing the thing that I've seen when I looked at it is like, uh, if you look at my has it gone up? Well, net worth it went up for a while, then went down for a long time. Oh no! And then has in the past six months because I've had a lot more regular work, it has actually gone up like at a what I can assume would be like a regular person's like pretty steep increase. Where like every month it goes up. Um, as opposed to having these like peaks and valleys yeah. like it used to. But when I look at it, the thing that I think is unique to freelancers and probably other people don't have is at, when I look at total income, like it, it breaks it down by month and it's like your best month. And my best month was you made $20,000 in this month. Damn. And then my worst month, it said you made negative $18,000. <laughs> negative 18? Yeah. How did you even do that? Because I made $0 and spent $18,000. What did you... So this is because, like, for me and my specific work, I often have to, like, pay, like, rent a studio, rent a theater, pay people, pay for all this technical stuff. And I know that I'll get that money back by, like, ticket sales or by, you know, selling advertising on stuff. But it just takes that money. Like, I know if I don't put out that money, then there will be no income coming in. So one month I got all the ticket sales came in. And then another month all of the costs went out. And so those were the same, but those were like, they were together those two months. Yeah. Well, those two months were linked, but like, but if you so looked net, at it, so, so net, net, it was net, was I made $2,000. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So okay. like net, I was like, oh, $2,000. That's like a pretty decent net. But if you look at it just month to month, it's like, I'm a rich person. I'm going bankrupt. Like it was terrifying, even though in the end, it was just like a lot of money coming in, a lot of money going out for a really modest amount of money that yeah. I was going to keep. Yeah. And I think that is the terrifying part of being a freelancer. I don't know if I could do that. Yeah. It's uh, it's the number one thing that I question whether I can do. Or can't. Well, it seems like you're doing it. Oh, I've done it. Whether it's a good <laughs> idea to do it, that's, a, that's an ongoing question. 
think I'd be too anxious. Look, it's really hard to figure out monthly spending, and sometimes it's even harder when your income varies so much. Yeah, it definitely sounds like we both are very much in need of some expert advice. I'm still feeling very oh no. Well, lucky for us, we're about to get advice from someone who knows how to get us into our budgeting happy place. Joining us now is Aaron Lowry, millennial personal finance expert, speaker, and author of the book, Broke Millennial. Stop scraping by and get your financial life together. Aaron, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, so first off, I notice a lot on your Twitter, the hashtag G-Y-F-L-T. Uh, what is that? What's get that about? Get your financial life together. Oh, that is something we could use. <laughs> Do you mind if I ask you how old you are? I'm 27. You're 27? Yes. And so like, how old were you when you were like, finance? Eight. Wow, eight? <laughs> what was the moment? Oh, actually, I take that back. I was seven. The first moment, I call it the Krispy Kreme. It's an origin story, kind of like I'm some sort of superhero. And it all started on a hot summer day in 1996 in North Carolina. Wow, she was ready for this. Yeah, yeah this is what you've said before. <laughs> this is how the book opens. And um, basically, just the quick overview is my mom was having a yard sale. I wanted to make some money. So I asked my dad if he would buy Krispy Kreme donuts for me to sell to the people coming to my mom's yard sale. He staked me. He went and picked up the donuts for me, brought them back at the end after I sold them and thought, like, I'm going to get two super soakers. You remember those? The yeah. super soakers? He was like, eh, actually, you owe me money because I bought you the donuts. You owe your sister money because she worked for you. And so the rest is your net profit. And that was my first economic lesson. And what was your net profit? Uh, I think it was around like 20 bucks. Wow, that's I made pretty a, good. A good. That's enough amount. for one super soaker for yeah, sure. I was hustling out there. And my sister has like these huge blue eyes, so she was luring all the people in. She was about four at the time. <laughs> so that's that's how you learned about like making money. But what about yes. the harder part here, which is budgeting? So a big part of it was that my parents, all through my life, we had to pay for 50% of anything we wanted. And this went all the way up through college. So I was learning how to kind of control impulse purchases, make those kind of decisions really early on in my life. So by the time I got to New York City after college, I was working three jobs. I was kind of barely making enough to get by but it wasn't as stressful as it should have been because I understood how to control money so it was kind of having that foundational experience of understanding budgeting basics of finding your values knowing what to spend on and now I wanted to make sure everyone else felt the same way what did your parents do that they were like we are going to instill this incredibly smart financing budgeting skill set into our children first thing they did was talk about money it wasn't taboo they never once thought about it, and if they did, it was certainly behind closed doors where we never heard it. But honestly, I think they were just on the same page with everything. And then talking to us about money, how money worked, how to find what you value, and understanding the amount of work that went into purchasing something. So especially after the Krispy Kreme moment, my dad would be like, well, it would take X number of hours of hawking those donuts for you to get this stuffed animal. Huh. And do you feel like because of that is budgeting not stressful for you? I am at the level where I do what I call the no budget budget. Ooh, what's that? Yes. I feel like I also do this, but continue. <laughs> so what I do, and it, it's still a form of budgeting. I actually heard a woman recently refer to it as a spending plan, which is a, a more positive way to refer to it. But I, when the cash flow comes, so I know my cash flow. So I should back that up and say, first, you have to know your cash flow. And your cash flow is understanding how much you have coming in, how much has to be going out. 
So the first step is to be in the black. So to not have a negative number happening once you have to pay off all your bills. So Chris is a freelancer. I have like a regular old nine to five. What is you presumably are like an author? Like how steady is your cash flow? Like do you know month to month what you're getting? So I started traditionally employed. I actually switched to freelance about four months ago. So no oh, traditionally welcome to employed. the world. Yes. <laughs> so I am now on the variable income boat with you as well, Chris. Mm-hmm. So um, a boat that sometimes <laughs> sinks and sometimes soars into the sky. Yeah, I had set myself up pretty well by having a really big savings buffer coming from that traditional employment situation where I knew exactly how much I was going to have. For the most part, I just track everything very meticulously about what's coming in, and I only will spend what I earned the month before. So if the month before was a light month, this month I'm not going to be spending as much money. Hmm. So it's not based on the current month. Mm -mm. So my current strategy of getting paid and then buying a ticket to Bonnaroo is not the way to go. You have a set salary. It's a little bit different, but I still so would challenge you to do. is the way to go. I still would challenge you to live off the previous month's income. That's called zero-sum budgeting, by the way. That's a completely different strategy. I do kind of a hybrid. So what do you think is the biggest, since you obviously are picking and choosing from a bunch of different strategies, what's the biggest mistake that most people are making? Because we both probably don't think about money that much. The biggest mistake is not knowing your cash flow. I think it really comes back to that. So it's not analyzing every little way that your money is leaking out of your bank account. And a lot of that can be mindless spending. Some of that can be things that you have automated that you've kind of set it and forgot it. It could be subscriptions to things you don't use anymore. So the first step is to get, I like to do it with a piece of paper, even though we're millennials and we're all tech savvy, I like to tell people, sit down, pen and paper, and write out every single expense you have in a month that's fixed, and then also kind of estimate your variable expenses like groceries, things like that, that could be switching from month to month. I would say put in a little bit of an entertainment budget, but for the fixed, you know, your rent, your utilities, your cell phone, your student loan payments, if you have outstanding credit card debt, those payments you have to be making on your credit cards and see all of these and add them up. And that is your fixed amount that you need to have every single month. And the remainder is what you have to spend. And that's kind of your cash flow. Now, if you're negative, if you add all these up, these are your fixed expenses, some of your variables, you subtract that from what you have coming in, it's that big, scary negative number. That's when you have to start doing some slashing about where you're actually spending Mm. or start earning more. So I have like a couple like I feel like there's all this like constant budget advice that people give and I want to see what is like fact and what is fiction um what percentage of your salary should you be paying on rent that is a great question so there is something called percentage budgeting and the typical numbers are 50 30 20 where 50 is your fixed expenses including things like rent if you are living in cities like New York I would love if people didn't spend more than 50% of their salary, certainly on rent. Just on rent. Just on rent. And utilities, I would kind of include in that lump. It's great if your fixed expenses are less than 50%, but between student loans and high cost of living in urban environments, I mean, a lot of people are looking at more like 60%. But I absolutely would not go over 60% because you still need to live and you still need to do a little bit towards saving. Okay, so that's 50 50 to 60, yeah. 30. So the 30 is more for your flexible spending. 
So it's your groceries, it's your entertainment budget, and then the 20 is your savings goals. So you say 20% of your salary goes into savings. This is the ideal, this is what I call the Pleasantville version of budgeting, is the 50-30-20. Mm. And do you do one of those like automated situations where like... Yes, everyone should. Even you if think? your savings goal is like 5%, even if that's all you can muster, even if you're only putting $10 out of your paycheck into savings, automate that. Because how does the automated do? thing work? Sure. So if you're a freelancer, it's a little bit harder. You're going to have to kind of set it up yourself. You could set up, depending on your bank, you might be able to set up for your savings account to go in and pull out. Or you can use something like Digit, which is a, an app that kind of does that for you. That doesn't pull a ton of money out most of the time. So mm -hmm. I still recommend that you do this yourself. But if you have a situation where you can go into HR and say, hey, I have the savings account. I would like to defer 5% of every paycheck into the savings account. It's routed to that savings account before anything hits checking. So the money that starts hitting your checking account is then mentally, you're kind of setting up that baby gate where like, this is all I have to spend. And you're not even thinking about the fact that you're putting money away. And also your 401k, 403b, IRA, those kind of things as well. Does that count as savings or is that separate from savings? I like to say it's separate. Because a lot of times people are contributing to pre-tax 401ks or 403bs. So I think that it's better to mentally say to yourself, anything that's hitting my checking account, anything that's post-tax, this is what I want to be saving on. And it kind of then forces you to increase how much you're saving as well. So I, because I have variable income, I kind of do this manually where every time anything comes in, I take a percentage out and send it to savings. But uh, so it's not automated. I'm I'm the automation. And that's okay as long as you are diligent enough to do it. I do the exact same thing. Every time I get a freelance paycheck, 40% goes into a separate account, partially because we have to pay quarterly estimated income taxes. Yeah, so that's the biggest to, reason. Right. And people always advise 30% for freelancers. I do 40 because, again, it's forced savings. So then anything that's left over at the end of the month, or sorry, not the end of the month, at the end of the year after tax season, then that can you be going get, into you coming back well it doesn't go back into my pocket it goes into a SEP IRA it goes into saving for retirement so it's a forced way for me to have money to save for retirement because that's not set up quite as easily for freelancers wow but it you does... are gonna be living the like retirement highlight <laughs> yeah fingers crossed broke millennial wealthy older person <laughs> it's true so I do this really fun thing where at the end of the month I take the money that I put into savings and I quietly put part of that back into my checkings account no <laughs> that's got to be common though right i mean i have oh, yes. definitely had that little dance before where i'm like well i mean it's just sitting there so here's one way i would work against that set up a savings account at a completely different bank where your checking account isn't mm. so let's say that you are oh my god this sounds so i'm literally getting hives thinking about doing it. <laughs> <laughs> it's really easy so where do you bank u.s bank okay so I would go to Ally because they have 1% interest rate on their savings account. This is what I use. Yeah, it's great. So I would go we to Ally. No, sure. <laughs> You're I'm, on top of I'm it. I'm also a broke millennial. <laughs> <laughs> so it's easy. You set it up online. It's an internet-only bank. Yeah. It's really easy to set up. And you go in there, create your savings account, nickname it something fun, I would say, because also nicknaming your savings accounts in incentivizes you to keep with it. So what's your nickname for your savings account? So I have four savings accounts. Because, <laughs> you know, 
So I have my honeypot fund, which is my emergency fund. I have my Mosby fund, which is my dog's emergency fund. Damn. I have my Uncle Sam fund, which is where I'm putting my tax money, that 40% out of every freelance yeah. paycheck. And then I have my travel fund. So it's savings that's completely earmarked just for my travel adventures. Does your Whoa. dog ever try and take a withdrawal out of his account? When he gets sick, that's exactly what he's doing. But he never like you never look at him and he's like, oh, I hate these treats. Every once in a while, I'm like, you should get a toy. You're just so wonderful. And you take it out of his account? Yeah. If it's getting charged to him, it comes right out of his savings account. Okay, wow. so I open my savings account. So isn't, it, savings account. Wait, isn't it truly insane that her dog is better with finances than both of us? <laughs> it It's actually making me really sad. Yeah, her dog has much better and well-organized finances compared to the two of us humans. <laughs> I've never thought of it like that. I'll have to tell him when I go home. <laughs> Good job, Mosby. Mosby. <laughs> so the thing when you set that up, the great part about having a separate savings account at a different bank is that when you are checking your U.S. bank checking account, you're like, uh, but I want to go to brunch, but I'm down to 20 bucks, and I get paid tomorrow. Do I want to pull money out? You're not going to see, hey, I've got $3,000 in my savings account. What's it going to hurt to move a little bit I'll be over? like, I legit only have $20. I yes. can't do this to myself. And it could take a couple days to clear to come back into your account. That's the other little gate you've set up. Okay. So here's here's a question, though. So right now, like, I have direct deposit. And so I've been also moving the money from checkings to savings. It's how would I put that into this? This actually, I feel really stupid asking this question, but I'm having like a, how did I just send it from my checkings account to the other savings account? Yeah, not a stupid question. So your bank would be able to set up so you can directly send it over to Ally. So I have one checking account with USAA. That's primarily what I use as my checking account. And every time I get paid that freelancer check, deposit it, I'm allowed to move 40% over to Ally through USAA. It's not a problem. Did you call them or did you just set it up online? You can do it online, but if you're a little confused about it, just give them a call. It's usually quite easy to set it up. And then in terms of your paycheck, you can go back to HR and it can be two completely separate banks where you're sending portions of your paycheck. So I can tell like my employer, hey, when you pay me, put this amount into. Mm -hmm. I'm terrified to do that, but I realize that you're right. And if you want to just start by automating it yourself, if you think that you can have the fortitude to do it. I definitely don't. I'm the kind of person yeah. who eats secret slices during the day. And like, I'm like, no one knows that I'm moving this $5. It's more than five. It's absolutely more than $5. <laughs> <laughs> I the end of the even now you won't tell us the truth. I'm not gonna, I can't even admit it to you guys. Okay. So earlier you brought up Digit. Yes. And I'm an app cynic. I believe that all of these people are scamming us. And also the idea of some company holding my money and doing anything with it. I'm like, who are you? Why are you doing this? One, are there actual apps that are good and useful that you use? And two, like, is it all a scam? Are they taking all of our money? It's not a scam. I would check, especially, although anytime you're dealing with a finance app, put in the name and scam into Google and see what comes up. That's just your Great first way to check. Advice. You're blowing my mind right now. Okay, sorry. That's like the ease. I'm a journalist. I should do that. Anyway, continue. So that's the first way I check anything. You also always need to check. Investing's a little bit different. There's no FDIC insurance on that. But if it's anything banking related, make sure that it's an FDIC insured bank or financial institution. That just means that your money is protected up to $250,000 by the federal government should the bank go under. And if you have more than $250,000 in there, Good for you. protect yourself. <laughs> and so with Digit specifically, I vetted it. It is safe. However, 
what I would advise for you to do because essentially what they're doing is they're holding your money. The way banks actually work is it's not, I like to say, it's not like Gringotts and Harry Potter. It's not in a vault somewhere. Banks are using your money to make loans to other people. So your your money is not sitting in some vault somewhere deep in like Chase, Bank of America, what have you. And they're, you know, charging interest and that's how they're earning money. And then they give you a piddly 0.01% interest rate, which mm-hmm. is like, go to Ally, get the 1%. So with something like Digit, if they're holding your money, using it to make loans or what have you, but let's say they're holding it at 0.01%, which I'm pretty sure is what Digit does. I empty out my Digit account every month and put it into Ally. So I'm getting that 1%. So Digit is a way that I'm saving just a little bit more than I probably would have normally. But every single month, I say, send it back to me, and I put it into my savings account as opposed to letting them hold it. Hmm. And uh, what about a place like I use Mint.com a lot as a way of just tracking spending and seeing where all my money is going and, and having those kind of like analysis pieces. Do you think something like that is worthwhile? Yeah, Mint's great. Anything that can help you analyze your spending habits. Uh, I personally don't use Mint primarily because I still use a decent amount of cash and you still have to by hand go in and add everything into Mm. Mint if you go by cash. Why do you use so much cash? I like that it... Sorry, I didn't mean to... I didn't mean to... I just feel like I never use cash. Yeah. Except for the bodega. Right. Sometimes brunch. I feel like New York is a place where you still need to have some cash on you because there's enough restaurants that are like. You think? Yeah, there's a fair yeah. amount of Maybe I'm going to bad brunch on. spots. Or you're like high tech restaurants. Yeah. Uh, so I just like to have cash on me. Part of it's um, almost a financial insecurity. I think it's something my dad taught me to always have money on you just in case you never know what's going to happen scenario. Like my passport holder always has like cash in multiple currencies, like wedged in the back just in case. Whoa. So I guess that's like my- to us all. I'm honestly like, I'm losing it. Okay, sorry. Continue. That might be like my doomsday prepper version of personal finance, yeah. if you will. It's funny because Antonia is saying it as like, you're an inspiration to us all. And I'm like, it sounds like maybe you're an international cocaine dealer. <laughs> Um, Which maybe Narcos might be based on my life. I'm not going to tell you that. Okay, I'm just those saying. people are also inspirations to me. I'm just anyway. <laughs> but I will say with the cash thing, one reason it's a positive: you are going to spend less money if you spend in cash as opposed to swiping plastic. Is that real? Absolutely true. Oh, I feel the opposite. Yeah, me too. I feel I like spend, I spend cash like when I, my when there's cash in my wallet, it just disappears. But think of it this way. If you take all those cards out of your wallet and your only option is the cash that you have in there and you take out 200 bucks at the beginning of the week and that's all you have to get you through the week, you are seeing that money tick down. Mm. As opposed to, I guarantee there's been a time you've opened your credit card statement and been like, huh, I don't remember spending that much this month. Yeah. Even though it tells you what you spent on, you open it at the end of the month. I do weekly budget check-ins. That's my other big piece of advice. Every single week, I sit down and go through all my credit cards. It takes 15 minutes. On like a Saturday? Yeah, Sunday afternoon. The one thing that I do that I feel is correct, because honestly, none of it, the things that I'm doing I feel, is that I have a giant whiteboard above my bed with like, honestly, like all these, li- it's huge. It's like the size of this wall. It's like probably uh, 12 by eight feet big. And it has like where I want to go and what books I want to read and all this stuff. And then there's a giant thing that says, this is how much you owe. Wow. In That's student great. loans, which like has terrified a man or two. I was going to say, that's above <laughs> your bed? That's your back it's a, little, it's a little aggressive. However, I know exactly how much I own student loans. Yeah. But then someone comes over and you're like, look, I want to be romantic, but also you need to deal with this number. Or I got educated. Isn't that great? Oh, sure. <laughs> I, I think there's there's a pro and a con to it. Do you update it as you make your payments? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. 
That is a very good thing to be doing. Thank I approve. you. Okay. Okay. I feel I'm feeling less. Oh no. I'm feeling more. Oh. I want to just say I fully approve of having that whiteboard, and I completely disapprove of whiteboard placement. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Aaron. This was awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Seriously, so great to talk to you. I, I feel like we both learned so much. I hope you come back again. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to. So, if people want more advice from you, and they want to find out more about this what's the best way for them to find you so you can go to my website brokemillennial.com you can buy my book which gives you a ton of advice it's a pick your own financial pathway to do this too so each chapter is set up on its own it's not stressful it's not preachy everything is very storytelling based and then um, also on twitter at broke millennial and instagram at broke millennial blog and facebook at broke millennial And when we come back, we're going to talk more about the biggest budget in the news, the president's proposed budget for the federal government. Stay tuned. Time now for our final segment, The Bottom Line, where we take a look at a story from the world of business news and break down why you should care and how it will affect your bank balance and your life as a whole. So we've talked about how hard making and sticking to a budget can be and gotten great solutions from an expert. But what about when it isn't you or I coming up with the budget, but the president of the United States? And instead of being for one person or household, it's for the entire federal government. Well, just this week, we started to get some hints at what President Trump's budget proposal looked like. And right now, we're going to talk to Mike reporter Taylor Wofford about key takeaways from Trump's budget and how it might affect individual Americans. Hi, Taylor. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me on. Um, So, Taylor, we don't have an official federal budget from the president yet, but there have been some hints about what he might propose. That's right. Yeah. Before we get into the specifics of this, like if Antonio or I set a budget and then we don't stick to it, you know, we that's not a big deal. It's kind of how most budgets work. Is the federal budget something where is it a target or is it a this is exactly where the money is going? Uh, so this is kind of an ongoing dispute. Uh, but you, if you go over your, your amount of you know money that you allotted for things, then you're just into deficit spending, which is sort of like having a credit card and just putting things on credit. But not, I mean, not as bad. But this is like why we owe like China so much money, right? Uh, among other places, yeah. Okay, so what, uh, what do we think the main takeaways from this uh, this budget proposal were or the hints about it? Right. Um, so the thing that Trump and his advisors have actually mentioned explicitly Uh, is the military spending. Top line number for that is $603 billion for defense spending, which is a 9.4% increase over last year. Um, It seems like a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is a significant amount of money. Trump called it a historic increase. Um, It's not the biggest increase there's ever been. In the 80s, 1981, 1982, and 1983, there were increases in over 20% each of those years. So it's not the biggest ever, but it's big. And what impact does that have on each of us? Uh, Well, if you're in the military or you're in a military family, presumably you're, I mean, that doesn't mean that your salary is going to increase, but there's going to be more spending on things like that. If you work at a factory that produces equipment or weapons or things like that, uh, your factory might get, you know, a new contract, things like that. Presumably there would also be more aggressive recruiting for for jobs in the military too. Uh, I mean, Trump hasn't, hasn't talked about that specifically, um, and you, I mean, most of these, most of this budget doesn't go towards like soldiers' salaries. It goes towards, you know, like Boeing and Raytheon buying and missiles and tanks and things like that. So, but I mean, anything's a possibility since we don't really know at this point. Okay, so right now we, it sounds like there's going to be a lot more spending on defense. 
But uh, overall, there's going to be a lot of cuts is what I've understood. Uh, Trump has said that he wants to cut uh, certain areas. The areas that we think he's most likely to cut are agencies like the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, um, because on the campaign trail, he was often very critical of the EPA. At one point, he even suggested dismantling it and getting it rid of it altogether, which is probably not something he's going to be able to do. But other other areas where he's talked about cutting are the State Department. And on Tuesday, he specifically mentioned cutting foreign aid. This is something I always wonder, right? Technically, all of the federal government's budget comes from us, right? Taxpayers? Yes. Uh, yeah. So how much of my taxes... Like, when you pay your taxes, you don't get a receipt for what you bought. Correct. If I did get a receipt, how much of my money is going towards these places? So there's there's two kinds of spending. There's discretionary spending and mandatory spending. Uh, overall, uh, defense accounts for about 15% of the total budget. So if I pay $1,000 in taxes, 150 is going straight to defense. Mm-hmm. Yes. Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security, those are a big, big chunk of the budget. So Medicare and Medicaid together are about a quarter of the total budget. Wow, Social Security is another quarter, um, which is you know an, an issue because uh, as more and more baby boomers retire, the share of Social Security as a, as a part of the total budget, as a percent of the total budget, uh, is going to increase. But he plans on cutting? No, actually, Trump promised to keep Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security exactly as they are. Interesting. That was one of his bedrock campaign promises, to keep those programs the way they are, which is uh, setting up a fight between, a possible fight between Trump and the budget hawks in Congress, like Paul Ryan, for instance, who wants those programs cut. So it sounds like, from what you've described, already the majority of our taxes are already set for where they're going. Entitlement programs and defense. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of a lot of the things do go towards those. A lot of our taxes do go towards those programs. Um, I mean, they were, the thing is that those programs are very popular. So, trying to get money away from them is is pretty tough. But it's like it's like in Congress, one of the major things that they do is talk about how to budget money, right? But it seems to be a rather small amount that they actually discuss because if if so much is going towards these entitlement programs and they're not going to change much, and even though there was a dramatic increase in defense, that's a huge portion. That means that the actual amount that they're working with to fund all these different programs is not that big. I mean, yeah, comparatively, it's not that big to compared to the things that we know we're going to spend money on. The actual money they're arguing over is kind of a drop in the bucket. And so foreign aid, this is one where I know there's been a big uproar that it's going to get cut, or at least proposed that it's going to be cut, because people tend to think that we spend a lot more on foreign aid than we actually do, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, in actuality, we spend about 1% of the budget on foreign aid. Wow. So cutting it does very little. Yeah, correct. It does practically nothing. It's more of a like a political move. I, and there's two types of foreign aid. There's military spending, which goes towards like you know helping our allies with military equipment and things like that. Um, and then the other half of foreign aid is mostly like health aid, giving, you know, helping with HIV AIDS drugs, um, things like that. Okay, so Antonia and I in this episode have been learning all about how to manage our own spending and track our income and expenses. How does the government do that? Uh, Well, I mean, there is an office, is the Congressional Budget Office, that tracks spending and income, things like that. Uh, But I don't think they use an app. They might, (laughs) but I don't think so. I think they have, like, a spreadsheet. Maybe, (laughs) Maybe several. We've been talking about the federal budget, but who does it really affect? Uh, So uh, the federal government employs more people than anyone in the United States. So if you work for the federal government and Trump plans on slashing a lot of those jobs or slashing a lot of budgets, uh, which might lead to job loss, uh, then you will be affected. He said uh, that he wants to, uh, 
you know, greatly downsize the number of bureaucrats and administrators and things like that, which is a lot of what the the agencies that work under Trump do. Uh, so th- the first, I, sw- I guess, the first wave uh, of people who would be affected by by the restructuring of the budget in this way would be those people. But then the effects on just everyone else. We still don't know. Yeah, it'll take a while for those to filter down. Well, thank you so much, Taylor, for talking with us. Yeah, thanks for helping clarify something that is really complex and still yet to be determined in many ways. No problem. That's it for this episode. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme music is from Breakmaster Cylinder, and our producer is Alan Haberchak. Thank you, Alan, and thanks to everyone for listening. And if you want to help us out, you can do that by rating and reviewing the show on iTunes. Seriously, you have no idea how much those ratings and reviews help us get the word out. Please let us know what you think. Plus, if you have any ideas for what we should talk about next, email us at payoffpod at mike.com. Also, you can find out more about us on Twitter at ThePayoffByMike or online at mike.com slash ThePayoff. See you next time.